Welcome to No More, Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to No More, Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm your host today, Zach Griffiths, Senior Investment Grade Strategist. And joining me on the call are Amar Singh and Nick Majumdar, our Senior Euro Retail Analysts. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. And opening these discussions with an icebreaker, Amar, I'm going to start with you. If you could have a sneak peek at any piece of economic, credit market, or sector-specific data for the rest of the year, what would it be and why? Yeah, as, as I cover uh, the food retail side of the sector here in Europe, and specifically, we, we have a number of issuers in the UK market. I would really like to see how the market share uh, dynamics pan out uh, through the second half of the year especially the, the push and pull between discounters like uh, Aldi and Lidl and the more mid-sized uh, sort of conventional full offer grocers like Astor and Morrison's. Uh, we've seen uh, both of those names lose quite a bit of ground uh, to the discounters and, and also to other um, grocers, uh, but they seem to have stemmed that flow for now. So it would be interesting to see how that pans out, especially in the context of a potential reduction in, in inflation going forward. And so, Mick, how would you think about it from the discretionary retail side of things? So on my side, it's a mix of relatively smaller issuers and the food names that Amar covers, less homogeneous. And they have done a quite a heroic job so far of, of protecting margins in difficult conditions. So uh, I think what we would really like to see is how certain in- inflationary items pan out for the rest of the year, especially in H2, in COGS inflation and, and energy costs. And the expectation is that the intensity of price pressure will be lower for most retailers. And that should help them more easily preserve margins going forward. But that's, I think, is a key issue going forward. Absolutely. That's something we're keenly focused on the strategy side, both in the U.S. and Europe. I'd say inflation to start 2023 has generally been more stubborn than we had anticipated coming into the year. So definitely a difficult situation for the global central banks. So just to tee the discussion up, what is your current sector recommendation and why you position this way. Amar, I'll, I'll start with you on the food retail side. I think from an IG uh, perspective, uh, we have combination of market performs and underperforms on our uh, food uh, retailers in the triple B space. And the, the fact is that the market leading names like Tesco, Carrefour, Owl Del Hayes, they have been performing very solidly. Margin pressure hasn't been as bad as it was first in, uh, expected to be. Of course, this is in the context of some reduction in consumer demand, as well as some consumers 
prioritizing uh, spending on more services and experiences uh, versus essential retail like food. On the high yield side, investors are more worried about more high leverage companies like Asda, Morrison's, Iceland, Picard. But there they also have some of them with the recently privatized names and questionable management policies. And I think the, the pricing on those issuers reflects that. Uh, but uh, but investors are, are quite happy to be positioned in the more defensive names in the IG space, uh, the ones that I mentioned earlier. And so as far as your overall sector recommendation goes, what what is your outlook for this year from an IG and, and high yield perspective, kind of taking a, a high level look and not drilling down to each individual name? From a sector uh, perspective within IG, I, I think our view is inclined more towards an underperform. Uh, overall retail sector uh, spreads have been quite tight and have been so through uh, the last year as well and are amongst the tightest uh, versus other sectors and the index. It, it is also partially um, a reflection of the makeup of the of the ISPOFA index, which includes several high quality names in the A rating category. But at the same time, given that, you know, inflation is expected to have quite a long tail and from a technical side, the spreads where they are now, there is very limited room for any output. Understood. Definitely makes sense as how we're thinking about things from a sector perspective at a high level. So Samik, take us through your discretionary retail outlook across IG and high yield in 2023. So on my side, on the non-food retail side, which is very highly discretionary in terms of the product mix, it includes issuers, companies, and say value fashion, apparel, furniture, electronics, all products which you assume consumers would stop buying under a distressed economic scenario. And so the fundamental view is quite negative, which we would agree with, and total returns over the past year have been highly negative. It's been among the worst performing sectors, so there has been some pullback since the turn of the year. And to begin with, the retail sector used to trade very close to non-cyclicals to begin with, especially B categories. So there has been some correction on that front. But the technicals are also very poor. Investors are very well aware of the downside risk in the sector. But that being said, from an investment perspective, we are more neutral overall at this point because the current spreads price in quite a high amount of risk, especially near-term tail risk. And the extent of our bearishness or bearish view on the sector softened around late 2022 because we saw that sales had not really dropped off as much as we feared. And gross margins obviously are a more likely pressure point. But again, we have seen issuers do fairly well in that respect and with some improvement in trends in the last quarter. And one thing which is probably not fully appreciated at the price chain is liquidity has been pretty strong across the sector. Uh, we have not seen much cash, cash burned uh, over the last year. And especially for uh, investors who are you know, uh, especially wary about the sector, there are bonds which are literally short-dated from issuers that retain access to the market, or we can pick more defensive names in terms of end products or market weakness. So I think the idea is, even though we are not neutral on the sector overall, there are pockets of value in the sector which you have to pick. It's interesting, Smik. When I've looked at economic data and consider what expectations for 
the European and UK economies were, let's say, in mid-2022, I think there was a resounding expectation for a recession over the next, call it, six to nine months. And here we are to start 2023. We're not in a recession yet. You just had the Bank of England revise up its projections for GDP, I think the largest in history. And so I'll start with you, Samik, like thinking about economic performance, and I'd say resilience in general, how has that affected your view? I know you kind of noted that the fundamental view remains quite negative. Is it just a matter of time before we're in a recession? How are you kind of thinking about the economic performance to start 2023 when considering your outlook for the remainder of the year? I think the extent of impact on consumer spending, especially on the discretionary side, has not really been as adverse as was feared. And this is especially so because a number of its words are quite seasonal and especially around the Christmas quarter. And we have seen overall top lines hold up quite well. And I think what's really happened is that volumes have fallen off, but overall basket sizes have not really cut back as much as the bearish scenarios would have imagined. That being said, there is a high degree of exposure in case of a prolonged and painful recent scenario. And much more so for non-food retail than, say, food retail or more defensive sectors. And the next Christmas quarter especially would be crucial for a number of names, which includes likes of Douglas or Tom, which is why I think getting in, getting input costs in place and under control ahead of the next two or three quarters would be quite crucial. Amar, are you seeing anything different or has the economic performance to start 2023 been more in line with what you had been expecting? I know from a strategy perspective, we were thinking that a mild recession was likely around the middle of this year. If anything, that seems like maybe it's the second half of this year thing, but how has that affected your outlook for the food retail sector, given what we've seen to start the year? I think partially echoing what Samik said, consumer demand and resilience in terms of food retail has held up much better than we expected. And at the same time, uh, it, it hasn't really been a function of food prices coming down. Uh, in fact, it's gone the other way. Uh, food inflation has actually increased in the first few months of the year, which was uh, a little bit counterintuitive to what, what was the consensus. And so from a point where we thought that uh, a number of the food retailers would be on the paths to recover margins potentially from Q2 of this year, that seems to have been pushed back by a couple of quarters. Local grocers like Tesco have mentioned Food inflation is not likely to peak until the summer, potentially in July. And then only after that, we'll be able to see some uh, positive impacts in shelf prices for consumers. But so far, you know, understandably that the volume uptake has been lower anywhere between 5 and 10% compared to, to pre-2022 levels. Uh, but most of it has been made up by pricing and, and consumers have been, as I said, they have been prioritizing uh, spending uh, a little differently this year. Of course, people are still going out and spending on out-of-home consumption, you know, restaurants and hospitality. That hasn't really uh, fallen off as much as we thought. And same for other leisure activities. So, you know, food being an essential retail part of everyone's life has been has been fairly defensive 
but at the same time, we haven't really seen any improvement in prices as much as we, we thought we would. We're seeing a lot of those same themes in the U.S. with spending on services and leisure holding up much better than some had feared. And so switching gears a little bit from the fundamental and macro side of things to the technical side, Amar, I'll start with you. What are you expecting for new issue activity in the next six to 12 months? And what do you think the key driver of new deals will be or, you know, Conversely, what could keep issuers on the sideline over that next six to 12 month period? I think if I split it between the IG issuers and high yield, uh, most of the the high quality triple B names like Tesco, Carrefour, Alden Hayes, they have already tapped the market for the 2023 refinancing needs. And this has included quite a strong focus on sustainability linked bonds. Within the European bond market, retail issuers have been quite active in that space and they have quite extensive sustainability linked debt frameworks in place already. In terms of how they've done, pricing has generally been rather tight. It's mostly ended up being at or even slightly below the secondary levels which also kind of reflects the level of comfort that investors continue to have in these sort of safe haven names. And then a couple of 2023 majorities have been redeemed directly through internal liquidity, as was the case for Metro. On the high yield side, we don't actually anticipate much issuance in in food retail uh, with majorities under our coverage only starting around early 2025. But that being said, you know, event-driven issuance cannot be ruled out, especially in the case of ASDA, if it does indeed go ahead with its rumored deal with EG Group, which itself could be quite a large uh, transaction, and we could see some activity in the markets on that front, even if we do think that part of uh, that consideration price will be funded through internal asset sale and lease back transactions. Uh, but that's one name that I would keep an eye on. Great. And Samik, turning it over to you, what's driving your view for new issue supply over the six, next six to 12 months? And is there anything, any interesting deals you've seen to start the year that, that could indicate either strength or, or weakness from an investor perspective going forward? Well, on the discretionary side, I don't see much issuance this year at all. So most of the high-yield non-food retailers had termed out maturities to 2026 or beyond. And at coupons, which in retrospect are really attractive, the cost of capital, especially for B category, high-yield non-food retail has widened by at least three to four points. So your typical coupons, instead of four to 5%, would go to maybe seven to 9% under current market circumstances. So we have perhaps maybe two or three bonds at most in our universe, which are going to mature in the next couple of years and will be up for a refi. This includes a do-free and FNAC uh, near-dated bonds. And we like both of them because they're both uh, relatively solid issuers and good liquidity. But beyond that, I think the point where you see issuers try to test the markets would be more likely to be 2024. In addition, a large chunk of issuance in 2021, even mid-22, was to finance one-off dividends uh, and corporate transactions, which is unlikely to repeat. Uh, M&A is not really a major factor on my side, uh, as the business models are typically a lot more niche. And the issuers are, are usually among the stronger players, and if anything, they are market consolidators. So we might see ball downs from the stronger names, such as Next, but again, would be 
internal cash flow of finance rather than debt finance. And any issuance so far this year, any interesting deals or is it going to be, has it been a quiet year and going to be a quiet year through and through in your view? No, we would expect that a couple of names I mentioned, we would expect them to come to market quite soon. The Dufries, for instance, are waiting for essentially the closure of the autogrill transaction. So we would anticipate uh, a couple of issuances in the, sec- the latter part of this year, but not much this year. I think the most interesting issuance uh, we saw over the last year was Best Secret, which came in with a large OID and is trading close to par, but has been quite um, slim pickings in terms of issuance on my side, and, and, and with good reason, because, as I said, most of them refinanced uh, around the latter part of COVID when the market was much more uh, benign, and there is no reason for them to really come back to the market at this point. Yeah, great to have been able to term out at those incredibly low rates. So definitely good to have managed your capital structure yeah, over that the, time frame. Go yeah, ahead. I think it's worth keeping in mind that the non-food retail sector really did a good job in terms of timing the market, and that in turn feeds into the relatively low pipeline this year. Yep, totally. And so that all makes sense, kind of covering the, the fundamental view, the technicals, thinking about potential supply. Amar, going back to you, what keeps you up at night when you think about your sector and the recommendation you have now? You know, Are there any obvious risks, less obvious risks, things that, that are on your radar um, or even, I guess, prominent in the news that you think is, is either justified or, or maybe unjustified. I'd love to hear your thoughts there. I think uh, in the food retail side of the sector, one of the more obvious or key risks that's been prevalent is the ever-expanding presence of discounter chains. They really have shaken up the market, though it is more so of a UK-specific risk right now than, let's say, in Western Europe. But apart from that, I think some of the high issuers will clearly have some refinancing pain due to the high levels of leverage that they are carrying. Of course, bearing in mind, they don't need to refinance uh, for a couple of years, but the fact being that the runway isn't as smooth as they would like because of the thinner margins during high inflationary times, um, as well as the huge spikes in the interest cost bills on the floating rate debt means that organic cash flow led deleveraging will be that much harder even over the next couple of years. Uh, we, we do expect that margin pain will continue into this year and potentially into early next year, uh, which will flow directly into that. And, and, and lastly, I think we must also consider some looseness in the documentation terms for some of these large issuers which you know permit different ways of the sponsor to get some money out including sizable asset sales for some of the grocers which are sitting on quite a lot of real estate and that's been quite a key topic amongst my interactions with investors in recent uh, weeks and months totally i think that gets to the a question that we've been posed many times by clients are rates going to remain this high for longer and i think some of the Inflation problems we've had suggest that policy rates are are probably going to be higher from a longer run perspective relative to what we saw over the past decade and a half or so. So definitely something that's a key theme coming up across these uh, discussions. Uh, Samik, do you have uh, similar key risk concerns or 
Are there other things that you're focused on? Obviously, the discretionary or non-food retail side has uh, many different characteristics. So take us through what kind of keeps you up at night when you think about your sector. Well, uh, I would say on the uh, discretionary side, the more obvious risks are on the downside and more to do with the macro environment. So as we said earlier, any prolonged resistance is not going to be helpful. Uh, and a combination of continued weak consumer sentiment. And if input cost inflation remains at a high level, I think that's a nightmare scenario for those names. Any surprises are more likely to be on the upside, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are very unlikely. It's more so that it's just you know anticipated by the market at this point. And I think what would be a potential positive catalyst is if companies are able to hold on to margins for a couple of quarters. So what we have, we were quite surprised, uh, to be honest, by the fact how strongly gross margins especially have held up through such a difficult environment. And I think if that that continues to be the case up to uh, the end of the year, I think we would gradually see repricing for a couple of weaker names, which are essentially not looked at right now, especially you have B category or even double B category names, which are trading at triple C levels, liquid is completely fine. But I think what we need to see is margins holding up. Not so much worried about top lines, to be honest, at this point. That's another thing that's come up quite a bit in our discussions. We've heard in the US some retailers and I'd say even on the grocery store side, considering keeping prices elevated to protect margins and, and taking hit a hit on the volume side, which would certainly be a challenge for the overall inflationary environment. But if demand were to to hold up in that type of, if in, if management teams are taking that approach, it could be very beneficial to, to margins if input costs do in fact start to come down on a sustained basis. So definitely something that we're keeping an eye on as well. So sticking with you, Samik, let's, let's hit the top picks and top pans uh, that you have for this year. So on, uh, in terms of the picks, uh, I think one sub-segment which has per- outperformed the sector overall is uh, linked to luxury cosmetics and perfumes. And uh, uh, in that space, the Douglas Secures is a somewhat higher leverage name uh, overall, but performance has been fairly, fairly solid. Christmas is half of the EBITDA and they, they performed quite well during that period. So that's probably our top pick at this point. And at the same time, they are yield enough, but also despite leverage being high at the pick level, at the secured the secured bonds are reasonably well covered in a cap structure. So we see decent upside still on that name, and that is uh, combined with a fair degree of downside protection. Another name which has exposure to a similar end risk factor is Coty, and it's a somewhat safer name, higher rated, but again, positive trajectory in terms of fundamentals delivered on a significant amount of EBITDA growth over the last years. So it's more of a carry trade for us, but an, again, a safe place to park gas. In terms of pans, we wouldn't necessarily go out and sort names at this point, given where they're trading. But there are certain names like Subdirect or Oriflame, where we see the business model being more than exposed to consumer risk than, than average uh, and potentially see w- weaker performance. So they are both highly idiosyncratic stories, and they are both names where we would probably switch into other names which offer a better risk reward. Great. Amar, over to you. Best carry trade and top picks and pans. Yeah, I think it's difficult to have uh, a clear pick on the IG side of grocery, given how tightly the, the 
high quality names are trading. So we, we don't see actually a lot of room for outperformance. Uh, but if we move into the crossover space, we quite like Marks and Spencer, rated double B plus and is widely considered to be on the way to be upgraded. So spreads have been tightening quite a bit on it and, and we see there to be more room for compression going into uh, the second half of the year. Um, in in the high yield single B kind of space, we like the frozen food retailer Iceland. They've shown quite strong sales growth and margin resilience in, in a very tough competitive UK market. And it appears that uh, a path to a reasonably smooth refinancing in early 2025 is becoming more visible. I think from a carry perspective, Picard is a good name in the Euro space. Uh, it's a French frozen food retailer, quite a well-liked name actually in investor circles. Bond prices don't really react to the downside too much. So it, it's a relatively safer name given its rating and high leverage. On the PAN side, <clears throat> I think ASTA would be at the top of our list, but that is more to do with the M&A event risk than its actual underlying fundamentals. And we think that any sort of further news or any form of official confirmation regarding a deal with EZ Group is likely to impact the prices quite negatively. It's currently trading in the, in the early 80s. We, we could see that going down further from there. Awesome. Well, with with the top picks and pans, I think we've got some great key takeaways for our listeners. So I'll end it there. Amar and Samik, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks. Thanks. Thank thank yes. And thank you all to our clients for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on the next episode of No, no More Risk Better. Thank you. Credit Sites Disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Credit Sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.